0: Welcome to the 154th episode of Reverse Sweat Radio. I'm Andy Ryan. And I'm Toby Chad. It's 106 years to the day since Sir Len Hutton was born. To quote the man himself, it's all right, this Leonard business, but it's another ten shillings on the bill.
1: And just in case anyone wonders what the uh, uh, sounds are in the background, we have a guest contributor to today's podcast. Little, little Lawrence Chad is sitting upon my knee, so far being very good, but he's going to give us feedback, um, feedback throughout, and strong if opinions. If you're going I'm sure. to
0: create the podcasters of the future, you have to start the training
1: young. You have to start them early. Exactly, he'll look back on this moment. Now, Andy, I'm very excited about the fact that you are fresh home from Lords, you look like a man who's got through a few um, pork pies today I haven't actually looked at the um, <laughs> since I got up with this little urchin now in my arms I have not had time to look at what happened uh, during the day so 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 highlights please.
0: It's interesting because the big fuss at the moment in county cricket is the fact that 2020 sales have been very poor because the hundred mm. has seemed to have sort of cannibalise those sales, and I think partly there's a view that um, some grounds have put their 2020 blast tickets up, and the hundred is cheaper, and you've had really poor attendances at some grounds. Um, I'd report from Lords that the attendance was kind of mid-range. I think at quarter past six, I was looking around and thinking, God, this looks a bit desperate. But inevitably, sort of you know the what, for a, for a six, o'clock, six o'clock start was it? Yeah. Well, did this, this? So it was a quarter past six start. But But actually, um, I would say by 6.30, you had what looked like a respectable crowd in. Um, It wasn't a classic. It was um, Essex posted 160-odd and Middlesex never really got looked like chasing um i would also say as someone who has always fought lords's corner and said look if you're going to go and watch cricket in london mm. you know go to lords yep. it, it's where it's at uh, the oval I've, I've often been critical of the oval t20 experience which is kind of um booze first cricket second yep. um as someone who has today had champagne sprayed over my back um, I, my, my feelings are slightly more um more nuanced
1: now actually so <laughs> what th- because you Lawrence enjoyed crowd... you particularly enjoyed the experience of having this is something you're now going to demand every well, morning from your from your I wife
0: was, uh... Well, I was going. I was going to say that the um, the behaviour at Lords may not necessarily better be better, but the product that you have dumped on you is uh, perhaps of a higher quality. The one highlight I will pull out is um, Simon Harmer, who is something mm. of a, a sort of general hero of the county cricket circuit now, um, pulled off a, a completely remarkable return catch and one of those that you watch live and you think, physically as a bowler, how have how you made you the that? space? How have you made it? What it, it was it kind of was getting down wonderful. to
1: something that was that was low, was it or? What was, it what was, was remarkable
0: absolutely about it. hammered to the right, right of him at yep. a pace where for him to get across and to cling it and then even better to nonchalantly toss the ball away. Yes. Um, so yes. You it, often it, think that there's sure... a,
1: an element, a large element of surprise sometimes, you know, in those kind of um, re- reactions when a bowler kind of sticks their hand out desperately towards it and it suddenly sticks and that kind of tossing of the ball up is as much as anything just a reflection of total surprise. And
0: bowlers are willing to do things, obviously for their own figures that they might might not do for someone else's so i would so say true, Stuart um, Broad, good morning yeah indeed I would, so i would say in short my dispatch would be uh all, all, all is still all is still well at lords despite you know some of the um the county cricket um conundrums at the moment now somewhere where life has not been good for bowlers recently is uh the, the netherlands
1: yeah so it's uh, interesting that, that that neither of us have chosen to talk about the um uh, about the brilliant test series that has obviously continued um uh to Today, but we're yeah continuing our habit of, of of shining a light on the more hidden corners of of, uh, of cricket news. The um so in terms of uh, what I've been what I've been looking at for firstly the launch of the sixty. Did you see this? The sixty spelt six i x t y. I mean partly I just object to the some of the spelling natures of these um. Of these things, but the sixty in the West Indies, um, which is quite quite extraordinary. Apparently, they want to take cricket to Vegas. Um, but let's let's gloss over that. Um, and I had completely missed again, Lawrence. You're to to blame for this. Um, completely missed that there was an ODI series going on in the Yay. Netherlands, and had also completely missed. It. Maybe Andy, you can shed some some. Kind of background on this—the fact that it kind of completely overlaps with the Test series, which seems to be quite a new thing in the sense of England um, hosting two sides at exactly the same time, rather than having kind of consecutive series. It's, was was there kind of significant discussion? Is, is is that a yeah, what's the
0: background? Do you know? So I, I think there's broadly been a recognition that the Netherlands have been really poorly done by, you know, that they are, they deserve more Yay. ODI cricket mm. and they haven't got it. Um, and I think this is a really welcome development. I mean, the, yeah, the result of the series shows clearly England can get two very good teams out. Um, there was Henry Moran actually was speaking on the Test Match Special about this today and made a really nice point that... It gives an opportunity for a lot of England fans to watch England abroad in a way that you never really could for, for an awful lot of fans. I mean, Amsterdam no, exactly. is affordable and reachable no, exactly, in exactly. a way that
1: Australia, yep. you know, m- much yep. as, you know... It's one of the curses we're, we're... we have being the only test-playing, you know, European nation is exactly yeah. is exactly
0: that. Uh, and the... Sorry, the Irish? You, and you've the, done no, the Irish? Yeah. so very true. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, good oh, Lord, oh, I'm going to get a oh, knock oh.
1: on my door in the middle of the night yeah. now to get <laughs> that, that to look um, forward to. But I agree, it was an interesting indication, of a good yeah. indication. Of the fact that England can field two separate sides, um, it was also kind of yeah nice to see that you weren't ending up in a. I mean, I don't know whether maybe this is a, to hope springs eternal, but maybe there's a sense to which if you can get kind of some of the one-day cricket and the Test cricket out of the way at the same time, then some of these players can actually go and play for their county rather than mm. you know playing Test cricket for half the season, one-day in 2020 cricket for the other half of the season, and then having no um, uh, no time left. But yeah, you did kind of feel a little bit sorry for. Um, the poor Netherlands when they got hit around for what 498 uh, with that extraordinary Joss Butler innings you know
0: I think what was unfortunate and I can't claim to understand all the politics of this is that not all the counties released all the players who were eligible to play for the Netherlands so the Netherlands had this unfortunate situation where not only were they facing a ferociously impressive England team but they were doing so without some of their players Um, but I I think it's a really I think it's a really welcome step forward and if this is a way that we we spread the um, you know the 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 eternal uh, how do we spread the cake more fairly in international cricket if this is a way we can do it one, it one last
1: thought is that is that also it kind of clears up that question about oh whether do you have certain players who become white ball specialists but could be playing in the test team but have to play white ball or simply because of fatigue and it was actually nice to see joss butler obviously lost his keeping spot in the test side go out and do something spectacular in the one day side at the same time there's less of that sense of um you know the two sides kind of competing against one another somehow when they're playing at the same time
0: We'll put it both on our wish list. We'll uh, watching cricket in Amsterdam. Not surprisingly, uh, apparently reports suggest it was an extremely popular stag do destination. Uh, to an England ODI and a, and a few days in Holland. So there you go. <laughs>
1: Archives and uh, in this episode Andy is going to tell the rather curious story of when a captain banished his fast bowler from the field.
0: So Alan Ward was indisputably quick. He made his debut for Derbyshire at just 19 in 1966 and soon he had panicked batters ducking and weaving Just three years later, he's in the England team playing the touring New Zealanders, and he's doing well. And with the Ashes approaching, Captain Ray Illingworth decides that it will be Ward's pace and Jon Snow's pace that helps him regain the Ashes in Australia. England do do so. Snow is brilliant, but sadly Ward barely plays a part. And for any England cricket fan looking at our long list of injured pace bowlers, it's a familiar story. It's a quick whose body is letting his talent down. We fast forward to 1973 and the season's not going well for Ward. He's got seven wickets in six games at 48 apiece. Derbyshire are hosting Yorkshire um, and are out for just over 300. Now Ward begins Yorkshire's response in the way any fast bowler would like to begin their response by dismissing the one and only Jeff Boycott. He then goes on to struggle. We have frequent no balls
1: and his nine overs are pretty expensive. Do you know Um, know what it was that kind of led him towards these? Because that's quite significant struggling. Was it just that he came up against kind of batsmen who were hitting him around? Or did he kind of um, dramatically lose form at times as a bowler?
0: So he seems to have had this throughout his career that he... And, and again, this is not rare, I think, for a pace bowler, that he had these hot streaks where yep. he was unplayable. And then he was um, horrible. And, 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 well, well, one thing I've never understood, and, and this is something that I think you can't understand if you're, if you're not a genuine quick, is the problem with no balls. Because I think for a lot of us, we yeah. look at it and we yeah. think... and I mean, I've done it at club cricket. You look at yep. your fast bowler and you think, why can't you just, just adjust your run? Yeah, up? exactly.
1: Pace your run out up and do it at the same time each time. But when it's a matter of <coughs> inches... You know it's it little, just
0: doesn't work, does yeah. it? A bowler will get stuck and the nobles will pile up. Um, and so we reach the the decisive moment here that ended up becoming a rather unfortunate um, sort of story. Captain Brian Bolas takes <laughs> Ward out of the attack after lunch and doesn't give him another chance until after tea. But at that point, Ward refuses to bowl and Bolas sends him from the field. What's interesting is hearing from some of the spectators who are there... They didn't know what was going on. Ward had had injury problems, and they felt this might have just been another injury. So the drama was perhaps lost on some of the people who were there. And presumably the
1: conversation wasn't all that kind of... um histrionic in a way presumably Mm. it wasn't you know they ended up having fisticuffs on the on the field presumably it was a quiet kind of conversation and it's it's a very good point have you seen it have you seen the it's a a very good point there's no there's no
0: video footage to my knowledge of it and you're, you're right from from what i have read there's no suggestion that ward opposes the decision What's interesting is Bolas seems to have known what was coming. So a few minutes earlier he was actually off the field talking to the Derbyshire secretary. And the reason he might have known about this is that there's evidence that Ward had done this before. So that Bolas had asked him to bowl and he'd said, no, no, this is you know not my moment. We get an explanation years later. And I guess like any explanation that comes years later, you never quite know, do you? So you never quite know whether... Um, this has been rationalised over time, but what Ward does say is he says, when Brian asked me to bowl, something exploded inside me. I couldn't go on. People will never understand, but all I wanted to do was to get off the pitch. Now, hearing this, you actually wonder whether to some extent bolus was giving ward a break that he needed you know he, he had had enough and he wanted to get off yeah it also though shows that this wasn't an act of rebellion you know this wasn't a fast
1: bowler turning to their captain and saying i've had enough of you it, it was all about anxiety it's, inter- it's interesting that it happened at that moment not at the moment when um, he was taken off, you know, because you would have thought that there are two moments that could potentially be the kind of fuse paper almost. One of which, when you're taken off after, you know, you have a slightly horrible spell and you kind of really want another over in order to redeem yourself, but your captain t- t- takes you off and sends you down to, you know, final leg, and you and you have to stand in the long grass thinking about your actions and then there's the other moment yeah. when you're asked to bowl again and you're right there is that kind of sense it seems here that suddenly you're asked to bowl again and you go my god that's the last thing i want to do at this point i don't want to put myself back in that you know in that it's situation in- and therefore this thing of sending the idea of the captain sending the bowl off is it a disciplinarian thing which obviously it is, but is there, as you say, an element to which it's actually a kind of kindly thing to do? Mm. It's kind of, you're kind of not really fit to be here, are you? It seems
0: like this was Bolus trying to assert his authority, which feels like a reasonable thing to do, given the context. Um, but it, Wisden were very critical of Ward. Uh, their write-up of the incident suggested his actions showed scant regard for his teammates and for the needs of a county which had handled him sympathetically throughout his career. Mike Brearley which is you know perhaps unsurprisingly given his interest in psychology was much kinder saying it was the sad culmination of a situation in which ward had become increasingly doubtful about his ability and almost pathologically afraid to bowl now if Briley is right this sounds a lot like the yips and you know this is yes. something we've touched on the podcast before and it's you know, particularly it's something that gets talked a lot about in golf but it's a particularly a bowler's thing you know the idea that your body refuses to obey in the way it has done so many times in the past you can't really imagine this incident being handled in the same way today, which is not, I think, to criticize Bolus. like I think it was a different time, a different context, but I think the idea now is you would expect a captain perhaps to handle it with a quiet word yes. and not create the incident in quite the same way
1: or at least to say why don't you go off and have a bathroom break for 20 minutes exactly. and you go yeah. off and then you have the support in the dressing room that is able to kind of help you through something else like so so what what happened after this i mean how how do you reintegrate yourself into a team <laughs> after having been sent off the off the off well the, field the short like
0: answer is in this case you don't so ward apologized very promptly but within three days he'd announced his retirement um but oddly this may all have worked out to give him the break not just in the context of the match that he needed but in the context of his career because five months later he returned to Derbyshire seemingly refreshed had an outstanding 1974 and two years on an England injury crisis actually saw him back in the test team and he did well against the West Indies twice getting captain Clive Lloyd um, after that, his career slipped back into what we might say was the sort of familiar pattern of hot streaks and then periods of underperformance, and he retired in 1978 at the age of just 29. Apparently, he uh, is, you know, a fellow uh, a fellow uh, Antipodean resident, uh, living happily on Queensland's Sunshine Coast, and I. and and I should give a a credit to both Martin Williams and Martin Chandler whose articles were invaluable for this Um, and one article did say that Bolas and Ward went on to be good friends which though I can't confirm uh, would make a nice ending to this story to the review and for this episode, we've been watching *Underarm*, the ball that changed cricket. It was released in 2018, and it was created by the Australian TV channel Seven and released on their streaming service Seven Plus. So it's a 45-minute film telling the story of when Australian captain Greg Chappell instructed his brother Trevor to bowl underarm for the final ball of the ODI against New Zealand, denying the Kiwis the chance to desperately to, to tie the game. Dastardly, very much the word. Now. now there is a central character here for whom this incident and this film rather depends on which is who is Greg Chappell. How did he come
1: across for you in this film? So he's a central character in the documentary, he's um, interviewed fairly uh, fairly extensively I think it's fair to say that I didn't know a huge amount about this I wasn't alive when this incident happened and I don't know much about it beyond the final ball, and the fallout and Richie Beno's famous you know, piece to camera on the news where he talks about how, how appalling it was um, so I actually didn't know much in terms of the game itself, now Greg Chappell is very he was the Australian captain and kind of talisman, he bowled, he batted he he claimed was the kind of media manager for the team as well Um, he was really the kind of central character on the day and he's the central character of this film too and he takes great pains to lay out the situation that he was in and to sort of provide the context within which this happened. He talks about the fact that he, you know, his phone was ringing all day, that it was a full-time job being Australian captain, that he was under enormous pressure, um, and that the, um, you know, this incident was kind of him Almost a kind of cry for help, him saying, I'm so exhausted, well, I cannot go on with the captaincy, do this. And he says, you know, World Series cricket, I want to see how you react to this, you know, is his kind of spin on it several, several decades later. Do, do you buy that? So the film only works because
0: Chapel is willing to be interviewed at length. And I think he's only willing to be interviewed at length because this is a great opportunity to put the case for the defense. And I have to say, I don't really buy it. I don't disagree with the fact that he was exhausted, but I don't think a decision like this is the product of exhaustion. I have to give him credit in terms of the level of honesty. So the fact that he is willing to say in the documentary that he probably wouldn't have asked anyone else other than his, other brother, his brother to bowl yeah. the ball I think is worryingly reflective of a sort of power dynamic <laughs> yep. there, isn't there? The yep. fact that you think you can bounce your poor little brother into it and well, not anyone else. Well, there was a cu- else.
1: curious family story about... Um, about uh, Trevor chasing Greg around the family garden with an axe, <laughs> do you remember that? Which, again, yeah. there's this kind of sense of, oh, you know, the way the family was was always going to lead towards a situation of this kind, almost, there's a sort of sense this of This is where you is and I went wrong. You're not going to get to the
0: top of professional sport unless you have a sibling chasing you around the garden <laughs> with a tomahawk. Um, I thought y- you made, you know, suggested an interesting counter-theory here, which is that we should give Chapel, perhaps, a degree of credit credit for the ingenuity of the move yes because this wasn't something that most captains would have even conceived of would they
1: well and everyone was sort of flabbergasted i think at the time when he suggested that they should bowl underarm and, and various of the players various of the new zealand players immediately after the game said well that it's it's against the rules of the game mm. it turns out that it had only been banned in england and then of course due to this incident was subsequently banned um band around the world but Chapel was someone who was apparently known for at the beginning of the season sitting down with the laws and kind of going through them and sort of looking for looking for loopholes and it's certainly sort of slightly presented in this film that yeah that perhaps this was a moment of genius how do you guarantee that with six needed to tie that you don't lose a particular a particular game of of, of cricket I, I I think that there's possibly something in that and it possibly goes against chapel's other assertion that he suddenly hit boiling point and he sort of the red mm -hmm. mist descended because i'm not sure if the red mist descends that you can think that strategically calculated because it is it is actually an astonishing leap of kind of mental ingenuity to go because in any other situation you would immediately be thinking thinking, where do i put my field where do i you know instruct my bowler to to bowl you're not thinking how do i completely turn the tables on this and, and bowl an underarm ball yeah and and i completely agree
0: it, it it's very difficult to imagine that that's not something that has got a degree of forethought to it um the documentary does a lovely job in terms of setting the broader context so i similar to you i i knew about the incident but didn't know about the wider context so the fact for example that chapel hadn't walked for a pretty obvious mm. dismissal the fact that there was a very uh generous LPW given against richard hadley in the final over you know the new zealanders already by that final ball felt they were up against it. Yep. Um, you obviously, whenever you watch any sort of historical or read any historical document on cricket, you, you find yourself naturally reaching for modern day parallels. And there is a, a very obvious sandpaper gate uh, comparison yes. here. Particularly the way the politicians get involved. So you have the New Zealand Prime Minister, Robert Muldoon, describing it as an act of cowardice and commenting that it is most appropriate the Australian team were dressed in yellow. And similarly, the Australian PM doesn't back chapel. And it did bring me back to Sandpaper Gate when you had this extraordinary scenario that cricket was leading BBC News with politicians, you know, pining yep. on the appropriate way Everyone to wanted treat to get into um, it. a cricket ball. It,
1: it was interesting to have the flip side of that, which was Ian Smith um, talking about how the, um, uh, you know, this could have been the best thing that ever happened to New Zealand cricket because it put cricket on the front pages and it kind of really cemented that idea of, of, of Australians as the, as the anti-heroes, that suddenly New Zealand fans had an, an extra reason to hate the Australians and therefore the encounters between the two sides were extra charged for the next little while which I thought was actually an interesting, you know, an interesting opinion, because in a way it's less about no one cares about who won that World Series, you know, um, World Series series or that indeed that World <laughs> Series individual game. But it is the kind of longer term repercussions of this that really, you know, obviously make the incident so much more significant. And that's what Chapel is interesting. Chappell, he's, he's never asked. And I wanted to see whether anyone would ask him, do you regret doing it? He does at one point in the film say there are moments where I allow myself to regret it because of everything that it caused but he never at any point comes out and says, do you know what, Mm, on reflection that probably was a bit of a shitty thing to do. You know, he just, he never never says that.
0: The one thing he does accept, doesn't he, is that his brother has suffered more for it than he has because Greg Chappell has this um, you know, staggering career of huge success and ultimately he is able to go on and captain Australia for three more years in a way that, you know, let's not forget, yep. you know, Steve Smith, that yep. was a luxury that was was denied him. Whereas for Trevor Chappell, because his achievements for australia were more modest this defined him in a way that it didn't perhaps define greg and i i think that's a that's a certain sadness that i think the film does well to capture it's not um you know we review films on this podcast that try to do uh innovative things in terms of format there's nothing particularly innovative about this it tells the story um pretty much in a kind of minute by minute hour by hour account it has talking heads but it, it works very well for that and I think one nice touch that I thought did work quite well is the crowd scenes yes. are very effective at giving you this sense of a really hot day yep. when yep. tempers were slightly fraying yep. quite a few people had had that you know that um, Victoria Bitter too many would that be what would one have too many? One would okay. have too a many BB. BBs at the okay.
1: MCD that's absolutely right and um, the other the uh, um, uh, special mention I think of, of, of Kim Hughes, the laconic Kim Hughes um, who appears and and makes a few few comments about this and I think has one of the best lines I've ever heard related to cricket when when describing um, is it Brian McEchnie? I think it is. I think he is Brian, yeah um, who is the um, New Zealand batsman batting at number 10 I think who comes in to face the final you know the final ball that he needs to six score score six off. <laughs> he says McCackney, built like Tarzan, bat, bats like Jane, which I thought was a wonderful, a wonderful description. Um, so that is um, the ball underarm, the ball that changed uh, changed cricket. Available through um, Seven Plus, uh, and that was the 154th episode of Reverse Swept Radio. Send us a tweet over at Reverse Swept. Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.